Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever you are, and welcome to the 4Play Music Podcast, episode number 18. I'm David Turner, and I'll be joined today by my fabulous co-hosts and music brothers, Alan Jones, Darren Parr, and Mark Hollywood. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, the premise of them is that we pick a theme, and then we each choose four songs or albums related to that theme. In today's show, we'll be talking about albums released in 1980 and it'd be guaranteed that we're going to need a second show to complete all of those choices. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. The order. Today's order is... You called yourself Ed Winchester today, Alan. Who's Ed? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ed Winchester. <laughs> I knew I recognised that. <laughs> I don't know what that's a reference to. Well, it's the fast show. Oh... <laughs> Yeah. You remember, you remember it? Where the guy just turns up with a microphone and said, Hi, I'm Ed Winchester. <laughs> okay, so we've got Ed Winchester's going to be leading us off today as we well, do yeah, the yeah, round. I myself into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, then, Darren, hi, Darren, how are you doing? Oh, hi, yeah, how are we doing? Yeah. I'm good. all right, thank you. I'm another year younger, I should say, but uh, birthday yesterday, great fun. And raring to go for this as well. Fantastic. Shouldn't that be older, Daz? No, no, older. no, I get younger. I'm ben- ben- Benjamin Button of the podcast world. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Mark Hollywood, you'll be third. Yeah. Are we recording? Yeah, of course. All right, no swearing. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, uh, greetings from uh, slightly soggy Edinburgh. It's absolutely chucked it down today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Good to have you. Yeah, good to have God, you. God, God bless your cotton socks, sir. It's <laughs> your best Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, was worse than, that was worse than Dick Van Dyke. Oh, Every right. time, Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, blimey, Mary Poppins. <laughs> That's too good. That's too good. So, guys, we're doing 1980. I don't know about you, but I found this really difficult. This is a bit of a sweet spot for some of us, I think. Yeah, what a year. What a year. Loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. When, the, when the random generator came out with 1980, I was cock-a-hoop. I just thought there is so much stuff. And it, I, I think it's roughly when, and uh, I hope, I hope my, my, my daughter Grace will be listening to this, but... I get into music properly at about six, seven years of age. Right. So, yeah, the sweet spot, 1980 to about 83. And all of a sudden I had this, this you know, real sense of what music was all about. Uh, so, yeah, this is a great year. It's a great year. As soon as we said 1980, I think you can see the smile on Mark and myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's going to be a good year. Yeah, but <laughs> we don't have to put up with... Uh, David and Alan with their, uh, you know, the Glenn Miller, yeah, <laughs> you know, and their and their Elvis Presley and Roy Orbison, you know. Yeah, that's right. I know um, Dame Vera <laughs> Lynn or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I bet there's still some prog rock in there, though. Well, there right. will be. There's no doubt about it. There's I'll be no able to find it. a bit. I'll find a bit. Um, <laughs> so we're going to kick off then. 1980 round one. Ed Winchester, Acker, Alan Jones. Off you go. Hi, I'm Ed Winchester. Uh, yeah, no, when, to be honest, when 1980 came up, I hit the roof as well, because 1980 from the decade of the 80s is my favourite uh, decade 
in the history of music. And so I was just delighted and straight away, three albums just came into my head and then I forgot about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. So straight away, I was, um, as soon as I remembered, I was on today, get these reserved. And I was so pleased uh, that they, you know, they hadn't been selected. But yeah, the eighties. Yeah, no, the eighties is um, is one of my is my favourite. Nineteen eighty in particular, was a fantastic set of albums. Could have chosen quite a few, but these first three came into my head straight away. Uh, funnily enough, two. Uh, I think we had a similar case back in nineteen seventy two where we had three albums released on the same day. In this year, I've got two albums released on the same day, um, and they're spectacular. Um, so I'm going to kick off with probably a band that not a lot of people probably know, having said that, but they, they, you know, they, they were great for me. And um, I've just got the Odyssey here, just reading the out of the black book. Um, this is an album. It was actually the third album from this um, English post-punk band, The Hail from Manchester. Uh, they were fronted by uh, one Howard Trafford, also um, probably better known as Howard Devoto. Um, the band I'm talking about is Magazine. Their third album was a really unusual title, and it's called The Correct Use of Soap. <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, magazine, a little bit of their history for people who may not know about them. I mean, uh, Howard, uh, well, Howard DeVoto started off life in the Buzzcocks. Uh, he was on um, their first album uh, for his first EP, uh, Spiral, Spiral Scratch EP. Then he decided to leave and uh, he formed this band um, uh, magazine uh, with the uh, original guitarist was uh, John McGeoch. Uh, who then left the band after uh, this particular album's release and went on to join uh, Susie and the Banshees. Um, and he actually also later played in Visage, um, together with um, the keyboardist from a magazine called Dave Formula and bass player Barry Adamson. And uh, the lineup for magazine is completed by uh, John Doyle, also known as Doyley or Drums. Um, magazine, um, this is their third album, uh, after Real Life in 78 and 79, was called Secondhand Daylight. Um, it's got some fantastic, um, jerky, quirky, cleverly written and arranged songs and produced by the late, great Martin Hannett. They're not everybody's cup of tea, I don't think everybody could take to them. Um, but they certainly hit the, the note for me when I, you know, as soon as I, I heard their um, shot by both sides, the first single off uh, Real Life in, in 78, it, it was, you know, music reached a new level for me then. Um, this, al this actual album was quite, uh, um, quite good uh, in terms of their chart success. They had three, three singles released from it. Um, it's a track called Sweetheart Contract. Uh, thank you for letting me be myself again, and that's spelled for letting me is F A L E T I N M E B, and then mice M I C E, and then E, -E Elf again. Um, this was written by a guy called Sylvester Stewart, 
Uh, you might know this guy better as um, Sly Stone of uh, of the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he actually wrote this track, but they did a great cover version on this album, and it was also a single. Um, but um, there was also an, another track called um, Song From Under The Floorboards was a single. Um, but my favourite tracks on here are the opener, um, which is called Because You're Frightened, and also track five on... Um, on the, the same side of Philadelphia. Um, I don't know how to describe it. You just have to listen and think if, it, if it's for me. It's lots of the words and the language used are quotes. Um, maybe just trying to get a reaction. You don't see a lot of rhyming in this. It's just it's just cleverly written and composed music. Um, it's got a superb sleep. Looking at home, superbly designed sleep by uh, Malcolm Garrett of Assorted Images. Um, so, some superb. It's really. It's just one of those albums. It's no messing. You put it on, and it it's brilliant. Um, so there's one version. There was a, a, a re-release. And then a re-release some years later in a different colour, weird. <laughs> uh, but the most um, interesting release was was only available in Canada, and this came contained different different songs, slightly different songs, and it was called the alternative use of soap. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm probably not expecting. Darren or Mark to know much about this band, but I think maybe my friend in in, in this particular album might be Dave. Um, so there it is, released in May 1980 uh, on the Virgin label, uh, clocking in a total of 40 minutes and five seconds. That's uh, magazine and the correct use of soap. I love the love the choice, Alan. Um... If we've been picking singles from 1983, I'm not sure if it'd make my four, but definitely in the shortlist would be Rainy Season by Howard Devoto. Oh, from his solo album. From his solo album. And yeah. Such a catchy... and a, I mean, the sound isn't too different from Magazine, is it, when in his, doing his no, own no, surly no. stuff um, on there? Um, I, I'm just looking for my album. I can't find the album, but I, I used to have it. Um, so... <laughs> A good friend Colin Smith, who used to um, always champion them. Um, I never really got into the Buzzcocks, but certainly magazine I did um, in in a big way and tried to keep track with Howard Devoto when he started doing his own stuff. Um, yeah. And just when you're going through some of the singles there, some of the songs that came off it, um, some some great ones in there. What what would be your favourite? Do you have a favourite track, or is that just not fair? I think that well, yeah. Put on because you're frightened because that leads off the album. It sort of sets the the, the tone for, for, for a lot of the album, really. So it's the first track, and it's called "Because You're Frightened." Yeah, no, great song. And I, I mean, there was so much coming out. There's so many different styles of music, sort of, sort of post punk, but there's so much else going on at, the, at that time. Difficult for yeah. anyone to get sort of airspace, you know, airtime, wasn't it? So I, I don't know how successful they were. Yeah, I think they were lucky that, um, you know, they did get signed to Virgin right. in the 78. That saw them through. 
and uh, I think they got quite good promotion. Um, they, they certainly a lot of details um, was uh, attended to in terms of you know um, the, the album designs, the single design, the formats, twelve-inch singles, uh, seven-inch singles. You know, so they would get they were they were coming out in different formats, and uh, I think they're still very much cult, a cult band. They haven't been. Um, they're still together, but they haven't actually done anything for a number of years. Right. Um, but they, you know, they, we still keep getting um, little, uh, you know, <laughs> things that we think might be the uh, dawning of some some new material on Facebook. Um, so that Dave Formula, he, he runs it and he, he keeps the fans on their toes. He, they've they still got a huge cover, a huge following. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so think, I don't think, sorry. No, I was, I was just going to ask, Alan, do you think that they became so big or their, 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 their marketing became so big because of Virgin? It's interesting you say that because you look at Mike Oldfield with Tubular Bells, which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a fantastic work of music. Yeah. Do you think that magazine mm. were the same if it wasn't for Virgin Music? No, I don't think they're in the same boat nope. as Mike Oldfield. Yeah. I mean, okay. uh, Mike Oldfield was the you know um, you know the original Virgin. Uh, yeah. You know, he was you know the first album on Virgin was Tubular Bells. Tubular Bells, yeah. But I think Branson started to build uh, a great team around him in term, and certainly in terms of you know Virgin publishing. Um, they started to see, you know, you know the bands that, you know, they could, you know, for example, they sign up, um, you know, new, you know, numerous bands that were, were rut yeah. at that time. Uh, the, you know, um, there were the skids. You know, everything was everything pop, anything punky, poppy, XTC, for example, anything like that that maybe you know might have got some kind of uh, um, original play on uh john peel then they yeah. get under yeah. sex pistols as well of course bonus points bonus points for where you can if you can name where the skids are from or where from originally Dunfermline. Dunfermline oh. in fife yeah ken Aye. can you can you name another famous band from Dun Dunfermline? Uh, oh proclaimers no they're from i think they're from no, I can't. No, I can't mark. Who is it? Uh, I think, I think it's Nazareth. Oh, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh that would be from Nazareth. I would have been here all night. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. I don't know, I'm furiously Googling, right? Or Wikian. Oh, I think it is. Sure. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, they are. Yeah, formed in Dunfermline in 1968. Wow. There you go. Skids and Nazareth. And um, now, the proclaimers are Faith Fife as well. That's what so I thought they were Fifers, all. but didn't know where about. I, I think I think they're from Octa Ah. Yeah. And they're very happy about the miles. Yeah. Well do you remember the do you remember the Coors And I was an American guy and he would stand there and uh, <laughs> he was standing by a, I think he was standing by a sign or something. I mean I think of Andy Slavin's listening in. Mm. He'll correct me on this, but um, this guy's standing there with a pint of Coors, and he said, my friends told me to go to Scotland, blah, 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 and he's got a real American accent on. 
And I said, here I am in Octomurti. And my friend said to me, where the fuck's that? Right? But what they were saying was, right, where the the F is that? So here I am, he said, with a pint of curs in his hand, with a fox hat. A hat made of a fox (laughs) on his head. Oh, yeah, I remember where the, where the fox hat? So here I am, with a pint of curries on a fox hat. <laughs> Too good. They wouldn't get away with that these days. No, they wouldn't that. get away with that. No, no, they wouldn't get away with that. He's definitely not. I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. But well, yeah, back to the album. Well, yeah, going back to the magazine, I think, certainly as far as I'm concerned, Alan, you were spot on. It's, I know I know the name of the band. I've just looked through their singles, and if I listen to them, it might be different, but none of them ring a bell. And I'm surprised because that era, I mean, I was only eight, I guess, that year, but that's when I got into music in a big way. And I, they've passed me by. Really weird. Yeah, that, they're probably their most famous single was off the first album called Shot by Both Sides. Yeah, I just looked at that and that's one that very vaguely rang a bell, but I, I couldn't pick, I can't sing it. Yeah, I can't think of it. Yeah, yeah you know, I was just, just going to say that uh, before I offend any. Hybies out there um, who are top of the league. Um, I believe the Proclaimers were born in Leith and lived in Octomurti, where the fox hat, and uh, actually lived down your neck of the woods, near Cornwall for a time. No. Yeah. So you can you can have a, you can have a bit of that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. David, if you've lost your magazine album. I can only suggest that you look from Levelers to Nazareth, and then you might find it in there somewhere. Is this is this something you've done before? <laughs> oh, mine are always a letter out. Yeah, if I lose one, it's a letter out. So have a little look. <laughs> I did. I did find a Spandau twelve inch the other day mixed in with the Symbol Mine, so it clearly does happen. Yeah, it's easily done. Tell you what, for a hat trick, can someone else name me one more famous artist from Dunfermline? I'll buy. I'll buy them a pint. You know we were doing the Dunfermline podcast tonight. One Famous Scottish band, big Scottish band, yeah? No, not a band. I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Um, very famous female solo artist. Um, had a number one in the 80s, I believe, with a, another female solo artist who is probably more accustomed to being... In the theater. Barbara is it Dixon. Barbara Dixon? It's Barbara Dixon. <laughs> we both got that up. <laughs> Liam Page the and Barbara name. Dixon is the right answer. Yep. That was the song from Chess, wasn't it? I know him so well. I know him so well. Yeah. 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 Well, there that, you go. Damon, you got that right, and you've also seen Barbara play live and spoken, spoken spoke with her, I think. So yeah. you get the right to go next. Okay, well, you'd be sad that it's not Barbara Dixon's 1980 album release. Oh, that so oh well. show. Uh, show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is a brilliant debut album. Um, I'm going to give you a quote first. The uh, K.R. Walston of the Albuquerque Journal, <laughs> that very niche magazine, uh, they said that this band know how to nurse a listener along. Uh, they toy with tempo and chord structure, just enough to sound original, but not overly avant-garde. This review concluded, the future shines brightly for bands like this. 
Um, they were very right. I think this band have gone on, oh, over the last four or five decades to do exceptionally well. This is the debut album Boy by the Irish band U2 that you may well have heard of. Uh, yes, really... Go on, go on. <laughs> no, I knew you'd like this one. Um, released on the 20th of October, 1980, uh, by Ireland Records. And produced, it's the first time that they've worked with Steve Lillywhite, the legendary Steve Lillywhite, um, who, interestingly, we were just talking about Martin Hannett, who was the producer for Magazine. He was, Steve Lillywhite was chosen just ahead of Martin Hannett because the band weren't keen to work with him again. They worked with him on their first EP, and then they decided, actually, I don't really like you. I think mainly Bono. He's known for being opinionated. Um, decided he didn't want to work with Martin Hannett. So I guess, luckily for them and their stand, uh, Steve Lillywhite was next in line. Um, and I think Lillywhite was a real driving force behind their debut album and changing their sound. Uh, I think they were very raw with uh, Free was their first EP that was released in Ireland only. Um, very raw sound. Uh, Lily White um, took them to Windmill Studios. And the, the main thing he did, I guess, was with Larry Mullen and the drums. He stuck Larry Mullen away under a staircase, gave him some bottles around him, said, smash a few bottles, which you can really hear in the first track. Um, I, I will follow. I think it's towards the end of I will follow, and you just hear the ding, 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 and then hitting these bottles, um, and a spinning bicycle wheel, which he'd run his drumstick around as it was spinning, and um, which I guess was unusual. I think a lot of bands probably followed and copied that since being experimental, but it was a rare thing. Um, they recorded at Windmill a lot through the eighties with Lily White, and they kept Lily White on board because of his kind of vision and his experimentation. Um, another story about Wimble Studios is that they kept getting interrupted by a telephone ringing in, re in reception, <laughs> which they weren't allowed to turn off. Um, and Larry Mullen couldn't play any drums until the receptionist had gone home. And then they could turn the phone off <laughs> and then he could play drums. So it's actually quite disjointed. The band would rehearse and record and then Larry Mullen would have his later on in the day, which obviously is, I guess, the only time they probably work like that. Um, they already had over 40 songs in their repertoire before Boy was recorded. So hence the album being magnificent. They had a big choice to include 11 tracks that they really, really liked. And I'd say, well, they're all classics now, aren't they? But you've got songs on the album, such as I Will Follow, Twilight, Out of Control, A Day Without Me, The Electric Co, brilliant song. And the closer, Shallows and Tall Trees is, I think the sound of that is unlike anything they've ever done before, to be honest. Um, really, oh, sorry, ever done since. Um, really good sound. Uh, only two of the songs on the album were on their early EP, but they did re-record the one, those two, for the LP. Uh, it did really, really well, obviously. Uh, but surprisingly, the album peaked in the UK chart in August 1981 at number 52. <laughs> so it's done a lot better since going multi multi platinum or whatever it's done since with it but who would have thought you know only in number 52 and 63 in the US so already they had a similar kind of following in the US as they did over here well, yeah. similar, similar sales to propel them into the charts um, which has always gone with them they've always obviously since Rowell and Hun they had a massive affinity with the US but they've always had a following there and it's hard for bands to break there usually. 
So they did really well with that. Uh, the album itself is a kind of transition from adolescence and childhood to manhood. And you can tell that, again, just by some of the titles, with I Will Follow, Twilight, uh, Out of Control, Stories for Boys, Another Time, Another Place. It, it, it's a very, they all follow on. It's very interesting when you actually sit down and read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics when you're listening to the album. Superb. Um, the cover, very iconic cover on the album, which is uh, a young lad just staring. I'll show you guys there. I'm sure you reckon you're familiar with it. Um, the cover. That's me. Actually... That's me. That's me, that is. <laughs> yeah, I looked it up. It's Peter Rowan. <laughs> oh. I remembered it was a Peter, but I couldn't remember his surname. And he was the younger brother of one of Bono's friends, uh, who was also a former member of the Virgin Prunes, oh. a band that I think some of you may be mildly familiar with. I can yeah, tell you, I've heard of, yeah. yeah, I can tell you what they've done. But this cover with P young Peter Rowan on it was actually banned in the US and yeah. several other countries because really? it might be seen as paedophilic. Yeah. Oh, God, right. Okay. Just for having, for having a lad on the cover, which I don't know. I remember seeing an alternative cover. Yeah, there was one. I can't picture it though now. I think it ended up just having um, their, their um, promotional photos, just the four promotional photos. Um, interesting. It's interesting to say because if you compare it to like Led Zeppelin, Houses of the Holy, <laughs> I think that came out in oh, 75. I could be wrong here. Shot yeah. down. I mean, it's it's equally graphic, but uh, you know, in those days, you never thought twice about that. Those inferences, which is which is really sad, mm. really sad. But going back to the album, excellent. It, it actually brings a tear to my eye because um, Boy and October were were introduced, and I've, I've mentioned the guy before in a previous podcast. A guy I used to work at a bar in Newry called Rory McMahon. I, I worked with him, and he introduced me. I wouldn't say bootleg. He taped it for me, um, October, and he he yeah. taped Boy for me, and God bless him. He wrote down every single song. So for all you youngins out there who can stream songs, he he taped it for me, and then he wrote down all the songs and who who um, wrote it, and the length, the duration of the song as well. I I, I love I will follow, but I'm I'm a, I'm a particular fan of. Um, the electric coal. Yeah, really. That's my I love it. well, Mark. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's just it's a sign it's a sign of them you two maturing. It really is. And I love as well on Cap Do. Yeah. So it's uh, the third song inside A. So um bonus yeah. points for anyone who can tell me it's it's quiz night with Hollywood tonight. <laughs> bonus points if you can tell me what on Cap Do means. Yeah, yeah, there's a cat involved. I knew you were going to that guy, and I've never, I've never looked it up. Tell you, it I'll black? tell you what it is. Is it what? Black? Something Correct. Is, is the right answer. It's the black cat. Ah, so yeah. do, ah. do, do in Irish and do in Gaelic, uh, Scots Gaelic, means... I only know that because of the Thin Lizzy album. Yeah, on cat do, the black cat. Nice, nice. There you go. I think it's... And that's one of the songs I was going to mention, how they can go for something so kind of melodic and uh, atmospheric and ambient uh, from that to things like Out of Control and The Electrico. It's so yeah. much contrast on the album. So much yeah. contrast. Yeah. What's the track that goes ding, ding? Hey, ding, ding, ding. 
Almost as good as Alan's version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's only there's only three albums. Oh, that was that, that was the edge. He's sitting down there. Especially just done that. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Clip again, Edge. Ding, ding. Oh, you have got him there. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> uh, he doesn't want to appear on camera. Uh, Come on, Dave. Show your face. Alan, get him to say yeah. hi. Get him to shout hi. Hello, boys. How are you doing? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's racist stereotyping, by the way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having that. Your Irish accent is pissed. He said, hello, boys. How you doing? <laughs> Love he's, never, he's never from Tendy. <laughs> oh, no, it's Dave Jones from the Monkeys. I've got him. Yeah. yeah. He's got Manchester accent anyway. He did, he, Dave Jones. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I love that album. I think I bought that the day it came out from uh, our price at Finchley Road. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's classic. Did you get the it's lovely good. white vinyl copy in the last record store day last year? Uh, yeah, it was the love, love vinyl one. Was it Love Vinyl? Uh, no, I think it was a normal record store day one. Wasn't it? it was, was one it? on record store day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I think this was a Love Vinyl one. Okay. Yeah. Because this year's Love Violence Pants, in my honest opinion. Yeah, Love Record Stores Day. Yeah. Love Record Stores, not Record Store Day. Oh, was that? Oh, it might yeah. have been. Yeah, you might be right, actually. Came out about last no October, November. It's yeah. sort of around the time of Black Friday. Yeah. Uh, oh, maybe it was. Yeah, I might have called it special right. for that. Yeah, you're right. Ah. There's only three two albums that they performed every song of live at least once, and this is one oh. of them. Right, so I will follow. Um, I'm thinking. Right, I'm thinking New Year's Day. No, is that one? Albums. So three oh, albums. Yeah. Right. So uh, Boy Joshua Tree when they did the Joshua yeah. Tree tour. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they ever played. The only one they haven't played, I think, was Red Hill Mining Time. Obviously, oh, they played right. it when they did the whole album live. So, yeah, oh, um, I'm just once to get off this this podcast. I'm gonna stick that on. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick. I've got boy, um, October, but yeah, I'm, I'm due a bit of Joshua Tree to be honest with you. Oh, we're all due a bit of Joshua Tree, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah. I remember <laughs> picking this one up from um, our price in Victoria Street in London. Yeah, probably um, around the same time, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd already bought I bought one of the singles that had come out, um, but of course then I did see them supporting or uh, I saw them playing at Hammersmith Odeon that year, so I guess I would have seen the whole the whole boy um, track listing would have been played there. Yeah, I think they're very collectible. Their first EP, um, three, yeah, it's called three EP. Yeah, it the is. original of that's very collectible. Yeah, I haven't got the original original. There's about seven or eight variants, I think, and I've got a white yeah. label variant, which is quite quite rare, and I think it's an orange label as well. But mm. yeah, I've got a couple of copies. But... 
Nice to have. The original, original does escape me still, but maybe one day. No, I think my, quite. I, yeah, I think my I Will Follow single was worn out. Yeah. From, from overplaying. Yeah. I love it. I love it when it comes on. Love it. You never hear it. Obviously, you never hear it on, on radio. Oh. The only time you hear it is, uh, I don't know, maybe at a gig. At, at, you know, it's at, at something that's completely off the wall. Maybe a guy's wedding or a girl's wedding you're at, and they're a big U2 fan, and they say to the DJ, stick on, I will follow. Oh, yeah. uh, the only other time you hear it is when they're playing live. It's such a belter of a track. It's up there. I mean, okay, you've got Sunday, Bloody Sunday. There's, you know, there are political connotations to that. New Year's Day, once again, it's just anthemic. I Will Follow is, a, is another anthem. Yeah. They will never tire of playing. Great, great tune. Mm-hmm. Oh, great drums. Those drums when they come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Larry Mullen Jr. He's... He's really under the radar when it comes to greatest drummers of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know why. One of the greatest drummers of all time, you'd have thought he'd be up there. Yeah, Yeah, and and devilishly handsome. Yeah. He's all right, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Up there with Roger Taylor. Yeah. And and Liberty DeVito. Who the the F is Liberty DeVito? And Phil Collins. Which will segue (laughs) nicely into my album, my next album. No. Well... Since you segued yourself into your song then. Right, here we go. So, okay, the the listeners will know that I'm a massive, massive Queen fan. Huge Zeppelin fan. Big Police fan. But as far as solo artists go, um, this guy captured me um, late 1989. He brought this wonderful album out. Uh, It was called Stormfront. Um, mixed mixed reaction to it, critical critical acclaim, as I would say. This album came out, it was a seventh studio album, came out in 1980. Um, what, what I love about this particular chap is he has been through hell and high water. Um, I wouldn't say a tough, tough upbringing, but he had to learn how to box in his teens to keep himself right. Um, brought up in Long Island, Cold Spring Harbour, Hicksville. And I have a call out to my friend Peter Mallon, who I think now resides in Belfast. He's a cardiologist. No, he's not a cardiologist. He's a, he's a surgeon of some sort, um, or maybe comes a cardiologist. Peter, anyway, he, he would be on onto the stuff before I would. He'd be getting into um, KC and the Sunshine Band. He'd be getting into Terence Trent Darby. Mm-hmm. And he'd be saying, he'd be getting into Bobby Brown. I think, and he'd hand me these tips over and say, Mark, have a listen to that. Like that. And, I'd, and I'd say, oh, this is push. Until he gave me one of Billy Joel's albums, right? And Billy Joel, um, I just became absolutely smitten with. Once I listened to Stormfront, this album, it was the one before his concept album, which was Nylon Curtain. This particular album's got it all. It's Glass Houses. It's only 35 minutes long, but it has some complete belters. Um, and going back to Boy, I think Boy finished in the top 10 or top 15 in Canada. Um, it went five times platinum in Canada. It went God knows how many times platinum in, in the US today. 
it had a hit like it's still rock and roll to me uh, you may be right don't ask me why sometimes a fantasy and my favorite apart from the b-side which could have gone in last week uh, the b-side's called close to the borderline uh, the a-side's all for lena um, so the, the the album for me is Glass Houses by Billy Joel. It came out, I think, in oh, right. I'm not cheating here a bit. It came out in March 1980. I love it. I love it completely. I've got it here. I picked it up for. I'll tell you how much I picked it up for. Right for the benefit of those uh, watching the snooker in black and white. Eight pounds in <laughs> York. I was on a wee trip to York a couple of years ago. Took a, I had a, a cheap ticket. One of those. Virgin or GNAR tickets to go down there for Tuppence Hapney. I want to love this. Can you see that? It's got a picture of the band and the percussionist and drummer, Liberty DeVito, is wearing his watch on his ankle, thinking that he's being cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the first time I saw Billy Joel was in 19, oh God, 1994 in Glasgow. And um, I remember Liberty DeVito came out before the gig and there he is sitting there, maybe two or three people away from me. And the, the girl that I was seeing at the time, uh, the same one that I mentioned, by the way, who destroyed my Oasis experience in Cork, she was there and I said, oh God, I've got to get Liberty DeVito's autograph. Oh, don't, don't, don't. He's, he's um, you'll, you'll embarrass me and all the rest of it. It's like, it's Liberty DeVito. Anyway. Cut a long story short, I don't have Liberty DeVito's autograph. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So so this goes in as the first great album of nineteen eighty. It was a no brainer. When you said nineteen eighty, this album was first came first to mind. I don't I don't know what else to say about it. It no. uh, it's well, it it was almost like it was a watershed between Joel's seventies efforts. And then what he became in the early 80s. Mm. So he was a different beast from about 80 to 83. Um, he came out with his concept album, Nylon Curtain, and then he came out with An Innocent Man, which I believe was written in seven weeks for the love of Christine Brinkley. Wow. Then he came out with Absolute Mints with the bridge. And then he, you know, re, you know he, he, was, he was a phoenix born again with uh, Stormfront in 89. But I'd say this is, it is, I would, I would throw it out there and say this is in his top three albums. It's very rock. It's very raw. It's very mm. listenable. And even my dad liked it. And that's saying something. <laughs> Brilliant. Great choice. And I originally got into Billy Joel in, well, 83, wasn't it? Innocent Man. And I yep. played Innocent Man. I, I had to buy a new copy because I wore it out. Um, so, yeah, I played Innocent Man and Stormfront. Weirdly, you said about the bridge. Was that not great? Because I've never heard of it. No, the, the bridge came out with a couple of great tracks. I, I mentioned one of them in the duets, uh, the one with Billy Joel and Ray Charles, Baby Grand. Yeah. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Big Man on Mulberry Street. Right. They were, they were, they, and then there was another song called A Matter of Trust. Those three songs in isolation, brilliant. Yeah. The rest of the album, pretty average. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That did pass me by. I loved it mm -hmm. as a man, and I skipped onto Stormfront. Yeah. Uh, my good friend Claire, well, Claire Westgate, used to be Claire Hicks. She bought River of Dreams for me for my birthday. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I've, I've explored all his albums since, and yeah, I mean, 
this one is brilliant. Great choice. So, so what I would say about this, my, my favourite track on this, I know we, we um, upload one favourite track off the album yeah. that we choose. Yeah. My, my, my favourite is All For Lena, right? All For Lena is basically about a young lad who he's on a one-night stand, he meets a girl, falls in love with her, things happen, he can't get her out of his head, right? And it's, um, you know, it reminds me so much of my teens. You know, you see a girl, you kiss her, uh, you know, all of, a, all of a sudden your your world is spinning. You're absolutely smitten with her. <laughs> but yeah. I was looking up songmeanings.com, right? And there were comments, you know, like a blog underneath the song. Yeah. And this girl, I quote, said, this, is, this, this made me laugh loud. Once upon a time, to someone, I was Lena. I didn't intend to ruin my loved one's life. Yet I did. He stopped going to his college classes and blew his scholarship just to follow me around. I couldn't go anywhere without seeing him lurking around my car, my apartment, and my workplace. My neighbours <laughs> actually called the cops at him because they thought he was a peeping Tom. Although I loved him, although uh, this is great, although I loved him, he began to frighten me. And the harder he tried to cling to me, the more desperate I became to get away. It is possible to be stalked by somebody while you're in a relationship with them. And that's how she left it. That was her feedback on the song, All for Lena. And I'm thinking to myself... Well, I was just thinking to myself, who in God's name? Right, you'd say, All for Lena, great song. Yeah, no. She she just gave me her um, her life history uh, and uh, a very uncomfortable story about an ex. I might give it a closure. Yeah, on the other hand, this guy said, hey, this is my favourite Billy Joel song. It was introduced to me in the context of losing someone, right? Okay, and then it goes on. But then other folks say, Joe, you know, actually, it's all about true love or meeting someone. It's um, love at first sight yeah. and realising that she's not quite interested in you, but you're absolutely smitten with her and you can't have her. And that's it. Yeah. Wow. So a big, a big shout out to Drixie. Who was the girl who um who was who was stalked? I hope she's okay now. <laughs> now I remember the buying this one. Yeah, I bought this. Um, it was a uh, like an import shop up uh, on Queensway. Yeah, extension of Bayswater now in W two. There was a, a record, a record, a French record shop called Lay. I used to call it Les Discs. Lay discs, and it always had, um, it always had um, like import stuff, things in there, and quite cheap records. But anyway, I went in, I bought this um, on this particular day, and that is my favourite as well. All for all for Layla. Oh, I'd have said that, yeah, brilliant. It's a great cover to it, and uh, yeah, I remember playing that to death. But he wouldn't be my favourite. Fifty Fifty Second Street. My favourite. We've seen him together. Yeah. We met. met up in Birmingham. He did indeed, mate. I'll tell you, I could, I could, I could swing the camera around. I, I'll tell you what, I'll do it now. Um, there's the poster. Can you see it? Oh uh, yeah. Billy Joel in concert 2013. That's when I met you and I fell in love with you and I wrote a song about you. All for Ali. <laughs> were, were you hanging around his car? Yeah, yeah. And I wrote a song for Alan. It started off with he stood on the tracks, waving his <laughs> arms, leading me to that third rail shot, quick as a wake. And then it goes on. Mm. Uh, the chorus is there's nothing, there's there's nothing I could do. I'm giving it all for Alan. Yeah, 
totally flunked my banking exams because you know yeah you know, because yeah. of me you know you, you know whatever <laughs> yeah. no good album good album loved it interesting do you remember um, you may be right off that album yeah or oh, certainly do yeah. you may be wrong <laughs> well uh, Billy, Billy Joel <laughs> thinks it's in his top five yeah I'd agree I'd agree uh, my favourite Billy Joel song of all time is a song called Summer Highland Falls. It's off the Turnstiles album from 1976. I'm hoping that's right. Uh, but uh, I'll just give you the intro, Mark. Yeah. So I, I absolutely. Oh, woman stuff tonight. Hey, Billy, can you stop, <laughs> stop playing the Edge's guitar? <laughs> oh, Billy, so, sure. I had to, I had to look up some of the lyrics actually on on You May Be Right. It opens up with uh, the 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 words Friday night I crashed your party. Saturday I said I'm sorry. Sunday came and trashed me out again. I was only having fun, wasn't hurting anyone, and we all enjoyed the weekend for a change. And then it says, I've been stranded in the combat zone. I walked through Bedford Stye alone and I rode the motorcycle in the rain. I was like, Bedford Stye? There's a place called Bedford Stye. So all the visits I've, I've paid to in and around New York and Boston and what have you, um, I, I associate with Billy Joel. He mentions all these wonderful places, you know, like Cold Spring Harbor, Bedford Stye, um, Oyster Bay, uh, Nantucket Sound. Uh, you know, when you want to visit them, it's almost like a yeah. paying, paying homage to, to the man himself. No, great choice. Yeah. Great choice, Mark. Lovely. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. Excellent. Okay. Well then, Dave. Right then. Um, go with David then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go with something uh, not, not too far removed, but a name you'll be familiar with but maybe not this album um, or some of the music he played in it so this album was originally produced by Robert Fripp back in August 77 um, it was intended to be part of a truly showing showing off the diverse styles of music that this uh, technique of, of, of Robert Fripp the Frippertronics guitar technology could be deployed with so the, of the trilogy, there was uh, Peter, Gra- Peter Gabriel's second album, uh, otherwise known as Scratch, and uh, there was another one, his own. Oh, sorry, his own album, uh, Exposure. So they came out in '78 and '79, respectively. But they were holding on to this third one in the trilogy by Daryl Hall, who a lot of people will know from Hall and Oates. And the executives at RCA were a little worried at the time about the some of the non-commercial portions of the Sacred Songs album, uh, and they might in, then have some blowback on the Hall and Oates cash cow, which was obviously ringing in, bringing in lots of money for them. So they refused to release the album back in 77, 78, 79, but it did come out in 1980. Um, Mark, you were asking about whether we get any prog. Well, Robert Fripp. I don't know if you know Robert Fripp. Known. 
known for his uh, presence as part of um, King Crimson. He's also the old guy, if you ever watch any of the Toya Sunday lunch meals, uh, lunch songs, he's the old boy playing the guitar on there. That's that's Mrs. Wilcox. So, um, I just realised I'm on mute. Okay, I, I just said <laughs> I, I just said I just said loudly. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we missed that input, Mark. I have to try and re-edit that in. Yeah. So, so when you when you when you said uh, Mr. Wilcox or, or yeah. Toya's, I, yeah. I, I get you know. Yeah. I totally get you know. Yeah. 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 And he's playing on the like he's he's a legend in 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 the prog world. What what he hasn't can't do with uh, with a guitar wasn't wasn't he didn't he play on Heroes? I think he played on the the Bowie album, a couple of Bowie albums on there, which we'll come on to I'm sure. And when we do cover other years, um, when it did come out, um, it did exactly die commercially. But it only reached number fifty-eight in the Billboard charts. Um, even even though it didn't have any singles played on on the radio, uh, and around that time, indeed, Robert Fripp and and Daryl Hall were thinking about forming a band, and they were going to use Tony Levine, who a lot of you will know, and Jerry Morata, um, who was the Peter Gabriel backup drummer at the time. In, instead. Frick went on himself and he started playing with uh, Levine, added in Bill Bruford, um, who would be up in my top two or three drummers. Um, Adrian Ballou, one of my top two or three guitarists. Um, they began working on new songs for an album uh, for a band called Discipline, um, which then morphed into King Crimson. And there sort of came another generation of the, uh, of the King Crimson crew. Over the years, though, the Sacred Songs album's reputation has grown, I think, because a lot of people have recognised what Robert Fripp could do. Um, and people were curious you know, when they heard about Hall and the story got around about Robert Fripp and his King Crimson um, works, they started to dig at it. So it's actually become quite successful over the years. It is a bit, I won't say it's lumpy or up and down, but it is does have different styles. You've got... Bit prog, bit of ambient, bit avant-garde, and and there's some pop. There's there's a couple of tracks you're listening on there, and you think, okay, yeah, that that I can hear that it could be on a Hall and Oates album. Um, you know, some of the highlights on there, they got Babs and Babs, and there's something in four four time. Um, you know, whilst they do stand out as really good tracks, they also use this Frippertronics technique, um, which which is basically a, a, a tape delay mechanism. I wanted to bring in something a little bit different because I had 20, well, when we said we we're going to do 1980, I had a list straight away of ones and I just waited till you three guys had come up with your choices because I had so many. I knew I could just pick something else and put it in there. And I thought I'd put something in which is a slightly different style and it kind of it moves from the sort of 1970s, taking Fripp, Daryl Hall, who was that Philly... Philly Sound Pop, which was so successful, another great band to have seen live, um, and give us something a little bit different. So I'm going to put this one in, and I'm going to put Babs and Babs in as my song to, to go on there. I'm not expecting anyone to have heard of any of this, 
No. So is it, is, it, is it called Sacred Songs? It is indeed, yes. I have heard of this, believe it or not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Hall & Oates fan. And uh, yeah, that's that's um, that's Daryl Hall being almost biblical on the cover, isn't it? It is, yeah. So yeah it does, you're right. Sacred, well, I suppose he's about sacred. To give, yeah, that's the that's the sign that a priest or a bishop or whatever mm. would give you when he's about to bless you. Yeah. When he's about to bless you. That's, that reminds me of uh, the first time I went to confession in Dundee um, and the look that the priest gave me after he found out what I had to confess. <laughs> after about three years, yeah, we mm. we were there for some time. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, I, I I haven't heard the album, but I will I will give it a listen. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've not heard the album. Obviously, I know Daryl Hall, no John Oates, but yeah, yeah, I'll definitely give it a listen as well on your recommendation. Okay. Sure yeah, I mean I I know Robert Fripp from. Pink Crimson. Yeah. I think I've got, what's the one with the yellow cover? That's Discipline. Is it with the, with the blue on it? With the blue writing on it? Like a, um, like a, a design on the front. Yellow yeah. With so that, that's the one yellow. that he 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 uh, went on to make using Adrian Blue, who appears on this album. Ah, uh, right. And interesting. Yeah, and of course, I know. Um, you're right as well. Oh, he, he was. Um, he did collaborate with David Bowie as well. I think on on Heroes. He, heroes. He it's, it's his guitar yeah, which you hear on there. Which you know, it's it's. He will gladly say, if it wasn't for him, Heroes wouldn't have been the success that it was because he actually improvised that. Well, I completely agree with him. It catches you with that. Um, oh, a stunning opening. Lick. That lick at the start. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I don't actually know the answer. Um, there were no singles were given any airplay, so even if there were any release, there wouldn't be many of them around. Here's the thing: if someone said to you, "Define a lick on an album and define a riff," how would you define it? So I'm I'm just going back to the opening with right. uh, Frick on Heroes. To me, to me, that's a lick. That's a lick, and and a riff would be the strumming part, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I in, in my book, anyway. Right. Yeah. So a riff, Keith Richards is full of them. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The riff is say deep purple. Down, 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 down. Just like a riff? walking you're like a walking electric guitar, to be honest with you. Yeah. you know, I'm just gonna get rid of all my vinyls. Got Ian Gillen in here as well. All my records, man. I think he played that. Is it not Tony Iommi? Richie Blackmore. Oh. Richie Blackmore. Uh it fell out with Richie Blackmore when he walked up walked up. Off stage at Wembley Arena once, uh, refused to do any encore whatsoever. That was in 1980. All right, Rainbow yeah, at Wembley Arena. You never played an encore. There was pandemonium. <laughs> no, I, I think I think I did mention. I don't want to digress from 
David's choice of album, mm-hmm. but I did mention Eric Clapton at uh, Glasgow Hydro a few years back, and he, he didn't like the acoustics, and he walked off after about an hour. Um, absolutely gutted. He was playing all his old R&B, R&B stuff, mm-hmm. and then he, he started out with cocaine, and he was halfway through cocaine and just walked off. And Paul Carrick, the great Paul Carrick, walked out and uh, played a song and said, good night, folks. And as you can imagine, in front of a, a crowd of Glaswegians and and, uh, and the rest of us, we were, we were all like apoplectic at this. So, yeah, he gave up after an hour, uh, uh, basically not impressed with the acoustics in the Glasgow Hydro. And I'd never listened to a single track of his since and that is absolute <laughs> really? gospel um, yeah really as much as i love listening to or i did love listening to clapton and cream and Derek and the dominoes mm. i've never listened to a track since hold on a moment so, i've just yeah. got to do this i'm just crossing out oh. i'm just crossing out uh my just one night clapton album then from my 1980 selection <laughs> that's gone Hey, while, we're on the, while we're on the subject of encores, there's one of my favourite indie bands. As uh, they're a band that have been going for over forty years, they've never played an encore ever. Oh, he always oh. said, uh, anyone, anyone that's before knows we never play encores. Any idea who this might be? Is it Blur? No. Oh, oh. Mor- Morrissey. Uh, no, not Morrissey. He does encores. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a band. Is it a band then? It's a band. Uh, we talked about them before in the last couple of podcasts. Oasis. Oasis. No, we talked about their album George Best. Oh, the, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding yeah. present. Never ever done an encore from the early days to now. Yeah. Just you go. got me in. Yeah. So I was in the John. Um, Darren, when we saw John Otway, didn't he say that they said they played the encores before they finished and then they just left. He did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He played all his best. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if they've always done that. No, I, I, I'm guessing that was maybe just because of the arrangement, because I had no room to walk yeah. off to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, they were in the pulpit, so it was a bit difficult from there. Yeah, it was. That's probably why. <laughs> Guys, just to say, we're coming up to nearly an hour. Okay. I think <laughs> we, we're going to go for a second, a quicker second round. Okay. Let's stop recording. <laughs> let's do it. Too much chat from Hollywood tonight. No, no. Yeah, let's get up on that. All good, good stuff. Alan, lead us off with your second choice, please. And uh, my favourite track is uh, The Teens That Meet in Caps. Uh, okay, Darren. Uh, <laughs> what to you, Darren? Well, I missed that. <laughs> I totally missed what happened, huh? We just saved 20 minutes, though. Oh, that was it, was it? <laughs> oh, he's just done a Richie he's Blackmore. He's, he's done a Richie Blackmore. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, Eric, Cla- Eric Clapton. No more. Okay, come on, Ed oh, Winchester, right. so, uh, step in. I'm doing my number two, my second choice, in fact. Um, <laughs> this is a uh, debut album from a group which originally uh, formed in... in in, in 1978, and um, com- it combines the sort of aggressiveness of punk rock with soul music, and particularly the album is influenced by Northern Soul. 
the band was formed by somebody who will be is a household name. I'd be surprised if you guys haven't heard of um, Kevin Rowland. Um, and, and Kevin uh, got together with his mate Kevin, who's also known as Kevin Al Archer. Um, and they had um, some minor success with a single under the name of uh, The Killjoys. Uh, but they, after that, they decided that they wanted to get really serious about music. And so they auditioned about 30 to 40 people uh, to join the group. And they ended up um, with um, a band consisting of eight members. And um, the band is called uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. And the album is called Searching for the Young Soul Rebels, uh, which was reduced, released, sorry, released <laughs> on the 11th of July 1980 on the Parlophone record label. A uh, total of only 41 minutes, 37 seconds. Um, so um, they, this, this album contained the single that was, um, went to number one before the album was released. And this was called uh, uh, Gino. Uh, about Juno Washington, and then um, uh, the other single that came from this was a track called "There, There, My Dear," um, which Kevin sort of sings as like um, he writes, he's writing a personal rec uh, letter, an open letter to the music business because he re he's really fed up with the way in which bands are were treated, and um, something more will come about that in a second. Um, but the I love it. The the opening track um, is got it's it's called um, it's called Burn It Down, and it opens up with like a load of um, it's like um, static radio static, and then you hear the the the, um, the snippets of um, Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple coming in, walking down to Montreal, and then it goes into the Sex Pistols, Holidays in the Sun. And then it goes into uh, Rap Race by the Specials. And then you hear them say, it stops. And they, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, for God's sake, burn it down. And that trap, and then the trap goes into it. And burn it down is actually, it's a kind it's a bit of a rehash of a, a single that they had been messing around with called Dance Dance. Mm. Um, but it's it's really clever and 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 it's about um, how it, how people this is Kevin Rowland saying how ignorant people are towards um, Irish people, all oh, right, and what they have done, you know, you know, you know, your poets and whatever. And he goes talking about he talks about Oscar Wilde, Brendan Behan. Sean O'Casey, George Bernard Shaw, Samuel Beckett, Eugene O'Neill, Edna O'Brien, and Lauren Stern. And it's great, and it, it's it's just him, I think, saying, "Well, you know, because Kevin's from Irish descent, he's saying, hey, listen, these Irish people, you need to find out about them.' And uh, yeah, great track." Um, some other great tracks are Tell Me Where My Light Turns Green, which is an original uh, from, from Kevin. Uh, but my favourite is, um, it's an instrumental, and it's called The Teens That Meet in Calves. 
but the whole album just blends one into the other. And um, I don't know. I, I went to see them at the time at the at the um, the National in Kilburn, and they were great. And he he was so great live, um, and he really wanted to. He, he was so intense. Um, and took it so seriously, and you know, if anybody in the crowd is overstepping the mark or shouting when he was he was building up these songs, he would he would stop and in it say, right, shut up, you know, listen to me." Um, and he did that a couple of times, and he he really got the crowd really intense music and intense listening, which is really strange when you're on the Kilburn High Road and it's full of you know, people from drinking and that, but he, he, was, he was so great and really demanded the stage. But I, I think I've mentioned, um, I mentioned previously about how he had a gripe towards the music music business and how bands were treated. And so um, they decided to steal the master tapes um, from EMI, Parlophone. And mm-hmm. there's talk about a police chase uh, up the M40 and all that, and but they did. They actually stole the albums because uh, it was for, to Parlophone to give them um, more, more um, royalties. And, and somewhere on the line, those tapes, or one of the tapes, fell into my wife's hands when um, she was. Uh, we lived in the NatWest Hostel in Bayswater, and somebody in the hostel was also doing something, promoting, or very, very close to the band. So the band actually came round the hostel one night with these tapes saying, look, we've got these. These are the tapes that we've stolen from. Um, but, you know, Julie always reminds me, yeah, but yeah, you, you like the album, but I held the master tape. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a great album. I mean, I bought it and I've got the original here. It's fantastic. Um, is, is there not a bit of the uh, previous between your your good lady and uh, Kevin Rowland? You did mention not, this in a previous podcast. Sure. Are, you sure, are you sure about this? I'm, I'm sure. And then a couple of years ago, there was a lovely green vinyl edition. And then, oh, was that the Sainsbury's one? Sainsbury's didn't no, release, didn't No, I think it was. I've got a feeling it might have been a HMV. Okay. HMV one. I remember Sainsbury's. HMV vinyl day back then. And then, um, then last year they brought out the 40th anniversary edition yeah. in a lovely red vinyl. I picked up that, that one. That album's so, 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 what tracks are on that one, Alan? The same as the original. Yeah. They're exactly the same. But it's a lovely, I mean, it's great. Um, thankfully, thankfully, not living in Yorkshire, it doesn't apply. I mean, these tracks don't, you know, trip off the tongue. Um, and I couldn't help it if I tried, but you just have to, if any listeners out there are looking for something to get into, or maybe to hear from the first time and think, okay, I've heard, you know, um, Gino. Forget that. The better tracks are on the album, and in fact, that's not their best album. That's not their best album. 
Modders came out um, a couple of years ago called um, um, Learning to Fly. Well, one day I'm going. One day I'm going to. One day I'm going to soar, and that is that. That is unbelievably better than Young Soul Rebels. Is it really? Got Mick Talbot on there from the from the Star okay. Council, and wow. um, but great. But yeah, going back to this, as soon as I heard 1980, that was the first album that came into my head, and I think I'll keep listening to that uh, forever. I think the the cover shows a young lad there. Um, this is in the Irish Troubles, and he's being. Um, He's been moved out, so we're safer. Again, uh, this is where Kevin Rowland wants to, you know, to, you know, he's. It's quite evocative, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's. Yeah. It's just um, it's subtle. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, I, I love Kevin, and um, he still demands a lot of respect. And I've seen them live since a couple of years ago. When they were touring, the, um, one day I'm going to score, and, and uh, yeah, they they still played Gino, um, but it was more like a samba sort of. I think they're almost they're almost kind of disowned some of the their early stuff now. Are they still yeah. singing? Are still singing about? Yeah, they're still singing about uh, Jockey Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. I feel really sorry for anybody that only knows. Thanks for coming on, Eileen. There's yeah, so no. much more to them, isn't there, than that? I totally agree. Well, see, yeah, but... see, see, see the cover there, Alan? Sorry, sorry to interject. Yeah. I, I read an article yesterday. Um, I'd, uh, yeah, I, it was it was an Irish. It was in the Irish Times, and without I don't want to digress too much from the music, but the cover of that album is all about uh, folk who were. Um, well, there was there, there was an element of um, cleansing, shall we say, from the north to the south and beyond, and it was a, it was a fantastic article about uh, these young folk who who were kicked out of Belfast and Derry in the early seventies, um, evicted a, a type of ethnic cleansing, I guess, under our noses to the Republic of Ireland. And uh, I'll send you the link. And if anybody in the podcast wants to to read it, mm. and if they're interested in that, it uh, it shocked me. It shocked me. I mean, I was born in '73, so I grew up in the '70s and '80s, mm. but I knew nothing, absolutely nothing whatsoever about some of this the story that I read yesterday about how folk were basically taken out. I, I knew about. Um, Certain parts of the community been lifted out in Belfast because their their houses were being torched, but I didn't I didn't know to the extent that they had to basically up sticks and move. So it's interesting that you showed me that cover to that album tonight. No, let yeah, let's be forget. Let's be forget. That's you know that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I think um it um there was um. Something that I, when I was doing you know, a bit of research, um, that I, I forgot, I can't see where, I, where, I, where it was now, but 
he does speak specific he does mention specifically about that how the cover came came to be uh, um, but yeah um well, we won't digress yeah suffice to say it's one of my favorite albums i get it out of I'll, I'll, I'll stop I'll, I'll leave it on a very happy note it was um kevin kevin mentioned great irish poets and writers one of the best quotes that i could give you is by a guy called flan o'brien and it's as follows when money's tight and hard to get and your horses and also ran when all you have is a heap of debt a pint of plane is your only man <laughs> well, pint of what plane pint of guinness all right Nice. Good. In other words, life, life might be kicking you in the, in the guts, but uh, just get yourself a pay to gas. You'll be all right. Just add to your debts. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Good yeah. advice, sir. Become Good another advice. piss head. Become another piss head, and then you won't bloody remember <laughs> it. <laughs> Good choice. Great album. Good advice there, Mark. Great album. Any time. Any time. Go on then, Daz, over to you. Okay, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try really hard to keep this short because I'm running out of time, but I'm also interested to see what you guys have got to say. So I had a really good link planned for this after listening to David a minute ago, but he beat me to it. Oh so, sorry. So um we were talking about Robert Fripp. Um Robert Fripp actually appeared on this album as well, as did Pete Townsend of The Who. Um I'm gonna get straight into it. This was um uh, Norm, the album's known as Scary Monsters, but it's full title. We're going back to more brackets like uh, the last podcast. So it's Scary Monsters, open brackets, and Super Creeps, close brackets. Um, of course, by David Bowie. Um, the late, great David Bowie. I don't think I'd be saying the late, great David Bowie already. But <sighs> it's so sad. Um, this was released a month before Boy. So this is the 12th of September, 1980. Um, and gave Bowie a massive commercial success following the um, the, the Berlin Trilogy, so Low Heroes and Lodger, uh, from 1977 and 1979, which weren't so well received at the time. Um, and I guess, arguably, they still aren't seen as his finest works. Um, they're great, and some people would say they are, but this Scary Monsters absolutely gave him... Uh, Massive commercial success. It went to number one in the UK albums chart. That was his first number one since Diamond Dogs, which was 1974. So a, a long way back for him, really. Six years prior. Uh, it remained on the charts for 32 weeks, which, again, that's the longest stint in the charts since Aladdin Sane in 1973. Um, absolutely brilliant album. Um, there it is there for anybody watching on the podcast. Um, <laughs> the, the biggest tracks, I guess, that everyone knows are uh, Ashes to Ashes and Fashion, which wind up side one. Um, and arguably, I don't think there's any other names, unless you're a Bowie fan and you've got the album. It was It's No Game, number one, Up the Hill Backwards. Scary Monsters, of course, is on there, the album title, which people might know. Uh, Kingdom Come was a cover of a Tom Verlaine track from only a year or so earlier, I think. Uh, because You're Young. And it's no game number two to finish it off. So there's, they, they are great songs. And I, I put it on again earlier. And Teenage Wildlife, which starts side two, brilliant track. Yeah. Um, and I was listening back to it and thinking, what does that remind me of? And actually, it reminds me a lot of something he did 
almost 40 years later with Lazarus and Black Star on the Black Star album. Oh, right. Yeah. There's massive shades of that I found to it. Um, and it's something I, I probably haven't listened to it for a few years. So I listened to it with New Ears uh, the last week or so. And yeah, absolutely amazed. Um, so that's well worth a listen, that particular track, I think. Um, and obviously it's got Ashes to Ashes, has the iconic music video of him wearing the Piero suit, which is also on the cover, which when it was when the video was made in 1980, uh, it cost about £250,000, and it was the most expensive music video ever made at that point. The equivalent of about one one and a half million pounds now, roughly. Um, yeah, and that's all I want to say on it. It's just a fantastic album, classic album, and I'm going to pass on to you guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got to say the video. It's uh, I remember the video vaguely. Yeah. I mean, I was seven years of age, but I do remember the video after that. You know, watching MTV, and it reminded me of a film called The Seventh Seal, right? Um, <clears throat> which was a, a Swedish film about a guy coming back. Uh, I think it was Ingmar Bergman who directed it, and the late great Max von Sydow was um, a knight from the Crusades coming back, and he faces death, and death plays him a game of chess, mm. and they sit on they sit on this um, on on the beach and they play each other uh, for his life, and Bill and Ted's books are adventures. They they take the mick out of it. They end yeah. up playing twist, Twister with Death and stuff again. But that, that actual video of Ashes to Ashes reminds me of, of that particular film. Uh, what can you say about Bowie, Bowie Bowie? You, you can't fault him. You pick an album of, of his, it's not up for debate. It's uh, it's one of the greats of, the, of 1980. That's, that's all that I can say. Oh, absolutely. Probably one of the biggest selling albums of 1980 as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'd believe it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it was this reincarnation as well. You know, Ashes Dance is all is all about getting rid of Major Tom. Mm. He makes he makes a last appearance. Yeah. So he's he's kicking out all that nineteen seventies shite. What well, it wasn't <laughs> shite, it was absolute brilliance. Yeah. And then he's he's bringing in the new decade with someone yeah. else. Yeah. You know, that's the first, first Major Tom appearance in Space Odyssey, wasn't it? So he came yeah. Back again. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting a cleaner image. Yeah, yeah. Ashes to Ashes from the funky. We all we know Major, Major Tom's a junkie. Yeah. So he's yeah. he's actually he's he's nicely kind of compartmentalized it and said, right, that's that. And we don't know what's going on in his life really. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone into the nineteen eighties. And then after this album, I believe it's Let's Dance. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but this was 1980. I think Let's Dance came out in 83. And then he, and then he goes on from there. What what an utter genius, not just as a musician, but. No, his next album was the best of Bowie. Oh, yeah. Oh, the best of, doesn't count. doesn't count. Doesn't count. But he he just, he he, he reinvented himself so many times. There's what? Yeah, Christian F. Which, which heard I, of it? I, I saw the premiere of that just off Trafalgar Square. Sorry, Mark. Ah. Oh, all right. I never heard of it. Haven't you never got that on it. nice red vinyl, Alan? Like I have. No, I haven't got that one. 
<laughs> and his next one was Changes to Bowie, another great hit. God. He's the and his next well, one was that. Carl in 1982. Wow. And then uh, a rare album called In 1982. Um, I th I think Golden Years came out in 1983. I, I think these oh, yeah. were his label. They were... His like his Ziggy Stardust, the motion picture came out in 1983. He was moving away from, to the other. To the, he was moving on to a new label, wasn't he? So I think they were milking yeah. him for everything they could. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, I just did that for, to protect you from numerous emails, Mark. About you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're flooding in. I was going, I was going to say. Um, by the way, actually, I was, I was just reading this. Uh, he acknowledged the fact that Ashes to Ashes was a confrontation of his past. And he said, you have to accommodate your past with your persona. You have to understand why you went through them. You cannot just ignore them, to put them out of your mind or pretend they didn't happen, or just say, oh, I was just different then. Mm. It's, 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 it's great that he was so private in, in many regards you know about it but is it but he was so public and it's with his change of persona through all those years yeah mm. what a genius he wasn't just a musician he was zeitgeist yeah he, as, he, he was zeitgeist as a as a person he he encapsulated the moment and he, he did it so well how did you just pick up what you're it's I never thought I'd get the word zeitgeist into the conversation tonight, but there you go. Yeah, was that a bet? <laughs> yeah, with myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just, just to help Mark out here, I've just looked up studio albums and listed in his discography, Scary Monsters Goes to Let's Dance. <laughs> hey. High five! It's the youngers against the aliens. Yeah, yeah. Compilation of like yes and soundtracks. You wasted really... your time buying that Christian F album, David, because yeah. it doesn't rank. Oh, no, sorry, that it doesn't exist. It's not been included. <laughs> it's just been wiped from his discography. Damn, damn. <laughs> um, Mark, just picking up what you were saying. Uh, Towards the end, there's a there's a refrain, isn't there? He says, uh, or he sings. My mama said to get things done, you better not mess with Major Tom. Yeah, and that's actually about trying to make the best of the future. That you shouldn't be dwelling on the past. You know, forget Major yeah. Tom, move forwards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's that's great advice to us all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. If anybody's got a Major Tom out there for a relation. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I don't Uncle Bernie. That doesn't count. Oh, uh, okay. Darren, you just want to mention something about the video for Ashes to Ashes? I did. Do you, do you, did you want to say anything about it? Um, I don't, do, do I? I don't think so. No more than I have. I, I, Why, what I missed? Well, not you missed anything, but. Um, uh, this was around the time of the Blitz Club, which was the Steve Strange, Rusty Egan Club, which uh, only which only just lasted for, I don't know, it was 18 months. It didn't really last for very long. Um, right. And they were very 
very particular about who they let in. So they, they refused Mick Jagger going in there at one point, saying he wasn't their type of person. But they all loved it. <laughs> they loved it when Bowie came along. And uh, he, you can imagine he was in there and he was chatting and, and getting on with lots of people. And I forget who they all were, but he did actually, he took four of them, um, we invited four of them to actually join him on the beach for that scene, for the video, including Steve Strange. Of course, of course. Yeah, you reminded me of another little story about that. Apparently there was um, a guy walking his dog along the beach as well, and he was in shot, and uh, Bowie's people went up to him and said, you can't be here, you can't walk your dog here, we're doing a video. And he said, bugger off, I walk my dog here every single day, I've done it for 15 years. And Bowie went up to him and said, mate, you can walk with your dog. <laughs> do, you know, do you know, I think the reason why Boy 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 was um, led into the the, the uh, that entourage was because I'd say he was just a nice guy. He came across as quite uh, eccentric but introvert, no. whereas the no. likes of Jagger was probably no, 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 no. Oh. It, that, that he yeah. he was the trigger for so many of them back in when Starman yeah. was done on top of the pops and he st- he stared down the camera and yeah. and it's sort of an iconic moment that many of the the people who were in that club there would have been young teens preteens and they got the bug they they knew they wanted to be something different and yeah. you saw how many of them you know how many of the new romantics sort of took on a, a a Bowie persona or one of many on there so so they they welcome in it as basically you know the their zeitgeist you know the person that they went to that, that they yeah. saw as a person that introduced them to music that they were interested in none of your old rock stuff or or shawadi wadi or anything like that nothing wrong with a bit of shawadi wadi no no uh, three steps to heaven. <laughs> what, 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 Oh, we're just we're gonna have to start off market. It'll be me and you off first next time. Sounds good. That sounds, you know, for the benefit of the listener, God love them. Listen to this pile of pish. Yes, um, <laughs> it's dark here now in Edinburgh, so it's <laughs> coming up here in Luton. Yeah, <laughs> well, that sounds like a fair shout. That's a fair shout, David. I've still got one more to lock in. Have you guys locked all of yours in yet? Oh, all yeah. of them are in. Yeah, yeah, okay. all of them are in. Yeah. I can't decide. I've got three or four, and I can't decide. I, I've, I've, I've got loads. So whatever you want, you just tell me, Daz. And uh, nice. we're, we're probably going to take us three episodes to get through this lot, anyway. Yeah, it's <laughs> such such a good year. It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Oh, okay, we can talk about B signs last time, and uh... I've got a okay, B list. I've got B. I've got yeah. four. If we were to have another episode, yeah. just in case, I've got four albums to put into that. Yeah. I think it's because we've all got stories. Whereas in the early 1970s, I've got yeah. little to say sometimes, but I've got a lot to say yeah. in the 80s. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. When, when will we get to like 88, 89 with Whitney Houston? You know? <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thank you so much. Just, just to say that we've recorded this on the 9th of August, 2021. And on this day, 35 years ago, exactly. Okay, I'm just leading up to my third or my second choice. Uh, Queen played their last ever gig at Nepworth before the late great Freddie Mercury mm. hung up his, um, his, his uh, vocal cords. Yeah. So uh, big shout out. So if you're listening to this, stick a bit of live at Wembley on um, and, and enjoy. So there you go, 35 years ago to the day, hard to believe. You'd think um, somebody like you would have worn some kind of commemorative t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just so it just so happens that I am absolutely top to toe. Um, I'm, I'm wearing, or, or I'm wearing some kind of watch as well. I'm wearing the T-shirt that my, my my daughter Grace bought me, which I thought I thought I'd never fit into. It's a double XL, and uh, my my Brian May Sable watch, um, which is um, a bit naff. Does Brian May anyway, know you've got that? <laughs> keep keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. I'll break I'll break it to him before we. Um, launch the podcast Uh, guys before we leave just wanted to say a special word about a friend kevin who unfortunately has passed Uh, he's listened to some of these shows and this is just send our love to his wife di and uh, the kids and uh, our love goes with you